0: So we, um, we start in this, um, uh, this message tonight, and I have the privilege to be able to share with you all tonight, and then tomorrow, uh, Pastor Jeff's going to be preaching the two services here at New Covenant, and I'm going to be at Pastor Donna's churches down, because the senior pastor down there invited your senior pastor to come preach at her churches. So I'm going to be over there uh, at, at Lake Lindsay and New Hope United Methodist in the southern part of the district and preaching um, Pentecost at her churches tomorrow. But I'm honored to be with you all tonight. So let me just, um, you know, most of y'all are familiar, you know, with the the story. This is the beginning of the church or the beginning of the launching, the catapult in the church into action. We find the story in the book of Acts, the second chapter. And um, so let me just read parts of it. Um, I'm not gonna read the whole thing in its entirety, but um, there's parts of this I really want you to kind of get, grasp a hold of. So here are these words from the, the second chapter of uh, Acts. So when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all gathered together in one place, and suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were, where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, the tongue rested on each one of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. At the sound of the crowd gathered, as, and they were, well, they were bewildered because each one of them had heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that they, well, that we hear each of In their own native languages. Verse 14, but Peter standing with the eleven raised his voice and addressed them, men of Galilee and all of Jerusalem, let them be known to you and listen to what I have to say. Indeed, these people are not drunk. You should suppose, well, it's only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel, the last days I w- it will be of God, and he declares, and that will pour out your Holy Spirit upon all f- flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Now when they had heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other disciples, brothers, what should we do? And Peter said, repent, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ so that your sins may be forgiven and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God has called to him. And he testified with many other, others who are arguments and exhortations with them, saying, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So those who welcome this message were baptized and on that day about 3,000 p- people were added and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God, amen. I love that story, it's a powerful story. So when I was reflecting upon this this text uh, this week, um, this is what I, I really got, I, I love this text because You get a really pretty good picture of Peter in this text. I I love Peter, and the reason why I love Peter is because I can relate to Peter, because Peter, you know, sometimes Peter gets it right, and sometimes Peter completely blows it. Can anybody relate to that about Peter, right? We can all relate to that. I mean, there's this this side of Peter that I, what I love about this part of Peter's story that we find here in the book of Acts, is that he has, and I call it the fire in the belly, He has this passion about him. Um, He he goes from literally being behind closed doors and almost like he's hiding to coming out in the open air and be able to preach this unbelievable message. It, It was just, well, they couldn't even believe that he was so prolific, how he could preach this message and he was just a mere fisherman, it's amazing. What I love about Peter is that sometimes you don't know exactly which Peter you, you get. I mean, you're like, well, the real Peter kind of please stand up, you know? You get the kind of the overconfident Peter at t- sometimes. You got... The Peter who seems to be, um, uh, well, uh, sometimes a little bit overbearing. You got the Peter who sometimes is a little bit impulsive. You got the, the Peter, I mean, can anything good come out of Bethsaida, which is where Peter is from? I mean, it's just a little bitty fishing village on the north part of the Galilee. You've got all that kind of going on with, with Peter, with a real Peter. Please stand up. I love this story. What I love about this story is that Peter seems to kind of, once again, connect the dots. He, he finds his voice. He goes from behind closed doors to open-air preaching, something like John Wesley, Peter. I, I was reflecting upon this this last week, and, and um, I, I, what I, once again, what I, I love about this story is Jesus had prepared them for the gift of the Holy Spirit. They should have known that it was coming, because he does say this in the book of Acts, the first chapter, before we get to Acts 2. He says, but you will receive, this is Jesus talking to Peter and company, but you will receive the power when when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem and all Judea and all Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I love that. Jesus just lays it all out. Listen, it's coming. It shouldn't have been a surprise. Um, It kind of reminds me of that that phrase that I kept reflecting upon this week. I mean, it's almost like expect the unexpected, I mean, once again, I've shared with you all over the last uh, couple of years, this, this wonderful opportunity to come and worship every single weekend, and, and so as I, I reemphasize the importance that, you know, Sunday is such a, of course, we're worship on Saturday night, uh, but Sunday is such a sacred day because it's a, every single Sunday is considered a mini Easter. Of course, every year we have the Easter celebration, but every single week we come, and we, we come with this, this sense of expectation, this sense of wonder that maybe something that I've experienced, we come to worship the Lord, that, that God's gonna speak some kind of simple truth to my heart. He's gonna give me something to cling to for this week to hold, that I can hold on to. So we come with a sense of expectation. Uh, you know, I think from time to time, sometimes I think we kind of miss that. You know, I, I, I love this part of the message about, you know, Jesus said, listen, you can expect it, it's coming, shouldn't be a surprise, and it did came in the second chapter. But sometimes we kind of miss the boat on the whole thing about expecting, You know, maybe we just think it's a bunch of hogwash or we kind of dismiss it or you know, somebody tells us something, oh, it's really not gonna happen. Expect the unexpected. True story, I was watching, a, I went to a baseball game. It was a minor league game. I was with my cousin Mary Ruth and her children. It was probably, I don't know, maybe 10, 15 years ago. We went to see the, um, I think it was called the Louisville Mudcats. And, um, you know, we just, it was the summertime, it was in July and we decided to go take in a baseball game. And so, um, we were buying the tickets and she said, Harold Ray, where would you like to sit? Cause they there's, it's a minor league game. I mean, there's only like a few hundred people there. And, and so, um, and she, I said, well, I tell you what Mary, we're going to sit. And I pointed out the seats and I said, we're going to sit right down the first baseline. And I said, we're going to catch a fly ball. And she looked at me like I had two heads, and she we're not gonna catch a fly ball. I said, no, no, If we, we're gonna sit on the right-hand side as we have the first baseline, I guarantee we're gonna catch a fly ball. She didn't completely dismissed it. Literally, the third inning, true story, third inning, a laser baseball comes flying straight at us. And because I knew it was gonna happen, it was like I had prophesied, I had my glove, I reached, I was having a conversation with her, I reached up, the ball coming straight at us, I had my glove, I literally just set up, caught the ball, sat down, handed the baseball to Cameron, and I continued the conversation, she'd be like, what? And here is the baseball. So I want you to know, sometimes we just need to expect the unexpected. About a month ago, true story, I was in the Holy Land. I was sitting with my friend Mike Tahan. God bless him. I'll tell you what, if you go to the Holy Land with me, Mike, is the, I think he is the greatest tour guide in all of Israel. He really is a phenomenal tour guide. He knows his history. He is wonderful. He's caring. He's compassionate. He's, he also knows where every bathroom is in all of Israel. This is always a good thing when you're with a truer, tour. And so I was sitting there, and we were having lunch. It was um, um, the day before we actually go tour the old city. And so we were sitting there at lunch and he began to explain the, uh, a little bit in the afternoon. He says, now tomorrow we're going to the Old City Herald. He says, and by the way, you know, we're going to be going to this place, this place, and this place. And then he said to me, you know, by the way, my daughter is also going to be in the Old City that t- tomorrow and she's also studying to be a tour guide. She's following her father's footsteps and her grandfather's footsteps she has this, she's got a college education, but she also just feels this drawling calling to be a tour guide. And I said, well, you know what, Mike, I believe we're going to see her tomorrow. And he totally dismissed his, Harold, the city has got hundreds of thousands of people in it. There's no way we're going to see her, right? He'd completely dismissed it. We're in the upper room. No joke. In the upper room. She's with, all of a sudden we opened up and he says, Harold, you're not going to believe it. There's my daughter, and here's a picture. Can you show me the picture of us in the upper room? And there's me and Mike, my guide, and his wife and his little girl, his daughter, who's in guide, and we're in the upper room. And he looked at me and says, you said it was gonna happen. And I said, yes, I did. Expect the unexpected. See, what's interesting is that you go, and Jesus over and over again, he reminds us, I mean, the, the idea of Jesus had said once upon he says, you know, the temple is going to be destroyed and I can rebuild it in three days. And they looked at him like he had two heads. What? It took, it took hundreds of years to build the temple. No, no, the temple is going to be destroyed and I can rebuild it in three days. Once upon him, he, he was in the upper room. The exact place I just showed you the picture just a few minutes ago. By the way, there were 120 in that upper room just before Pentecost. the rest of the Holy Spirit came in. That exact place. Um, Jesus turned to disciples as he's having the Last Supper and said to them, "One of you all is going to betray me tonight. Expect the unexpected." He has a conversation with Peter. He says, you know, I'm going to go ahead of you, and you can't come with me. And then Peter said to him, I'm going to go with you wherever you go, Lord. And then Jesus said, Pete, 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 Pete. You don't get it. He said, before the cock crows three times tonight, You're going to deny me. Expect the unexpected. This is part of the way that Jesus works, isn't it? I mean, he feeds the 5,000 with five barley loaves and two fish. He goes to a wedding, and he turns water into wine. Expect the unexpected. What are you passionate about? What, what do you have that whoo, fire in the belly passionate about? That's a great question. That really is a great question. I mean, for some people, it may be money, and some people it might be power, and some people might be winning at all costs. What are you most passionate about? Yesterday, I was in Dunn Island, Florida, I took my boys over to the Rainbow River. I don't know if you've been to Rainbow River. It's interesting. You know, we lived there for five years and we hardly went to the Rainbow River and now we moved away and now we go back all the time. It's interesting. So we go and I took the boys and we went to down to the Rainbow River. We have some friends who live there and, and they're gracious enough to allow us to use the cabin yesterday and we went swimming. What's interesting is I, I, as we're driving down this road, I I'd said to my boys, I said, you know, 30 years ago, I used to run down this road every single day. And... Um, The reason why I ran down that road, I would wake up early on a Friday morning before the sun would break. And I would run, you know, when I was training for a marathon, I would run maybe 20, 21 miles. And this was part of the loop that I would run. And I reminded him of that. Took me back down over memory lane. You know what's interesting, and the reason why I I share that with you story, because I had, you know, 30 years ago, I had this passion. I, I had this dream in my heart that someday that I might actually have the ability to qualify for the Boston Marathon. And I tell you what, I had a fire in my belly. And I was determined I was gonna do it. I had this will and I had this determination and nothing was gonna stop me. So I, I put the time in and lo and behold, I, I did it. And I was so grateful to be able to run it the first time and then I ran it for the second time and then I ran it for three times, ran it four times, ran it five different times over the last 30 years. But it, it took that kind of will, that determination, that fire in the belly attitude to wake up at six o'clock or five o'clock in the morning and run the 20 or 21 miles it took to train and to be able to, to do it fire in the belly what are you passionate about my wife's got a fire in the belly you know when we first started out in our lives 32 years ago in our marriage she you know we decided we would have a big family we're grateful for a family i love my children deeply so we, the Lord blessed with those five beautiful children, and um, you know, Donna would wake up every single day, and I know that Donna had this fire in her belly to do the very best for our children. I mean, I was working so hard, and I, I know there were times in which I should have been there, and I wasn't because I was so, just so inundated with trying to be the best pastor. And I know that my family took a, a backseat to that, but Donna's the one who held it all together. I'm telling you, and she. She would wake up every single day with this will and determination to do the very best she could possibly do to raise her children. She had a fire in the belly. And then we moved to the villages. And when we moved first here, I bet maybe just a week or two in, she says, Harold, I have this desire. I really wanna be able to go back to, I wanna go back to school, and I wanna become a, a school teacher. It's my dream I put on hold, and we're in this transition. We've gone from this part of our phase of our life into this new phase of our life, and she, says, this is what I really want to do. I said, great, go for it. And so she had this fire in the belly to be able to to teach children. And she's done that for the last 10 years. And then she comes to me about three years ago and she says, Harold, I have this desire, this calling I've had since I've, well, basically since I've been a little girl. I have this desire to be a pastor. And I can't shake it. And so she had this fire in the belly not only to raise five children, fire in the belly to be a school teacher, but then a fire in the belly to come to fulfill a dream that she's had since she's a little girl. What are you passionate about? What is it you you really passionate about in your life? That you, something you might think that you do in your life that might make a difference? What are you passionate about? I watched this uh, phenomenal, <clears throat> this last week was uh, Memorial Day weekend, and I was looking forward to Memorial Day weekend, because usually what happens on Memorial Day weekend, the History Channel, which I love, always rolls out a brand new documentary. And this year, and if you didn't watch it, I would encourage you if you can get it, go back and watch it, it was a documentary about Teddy Roosevelt. Now, I, you know what I love about, you know, I know a little bit about history, but when I watch these shows, it's not only entertaining, but I learn a lot about American history. And so let me tell you something about Ted Roosevelt. That dude, he was tough as nails, and he had a fire in the belly. And, and he had this, this unbelievable desire. matter of fact, I mean, there was like four or five times the dude should have died. I mean, this is a, this is a guy and he, he had asthma and he probably should have died in his childhood. He didn't die. And then he, he um, ultimately, um, he'd gone off to war, the Spanish-American War, and he charged up the hill with the, the Teddy Roosevelt and the Rough Riders. And he literally had bullets that were shearing off near his clothing. He should have died that day. He didn't. He, he went to the jungle and actually in South America and he should have died of malaria. He didn't die of that either. But he should have been dead in the, in the, in the jail. And then one day, um, there was a guy who came up to him and tried to kill him and shot him in the chest. I didn't realize this. Shot him in the chest. And, and what's fortunate for him, he was about to go give a speech... And it was, his speech was on about 50 pages, and he had folded the speech in two and put it in his pocket, and he also had glasses, and he had a metal glass holder that was made of evidently steel or tin that he kept his glasses in, and the bullet not only went through the, his, well, his, his script... His speech, it also went through the metal glass container and it lodged in the muscle near his, well, his chest and his lung. It didn't let go. His, matter of fact, what was interesting is that he literally began to cough in order to find out if the bullet had actually penetrated his lung because he knew if he was coughing up blood that ultimately the bullet had actually gone to his lung. Didn't happen. He says, I'm going to be okay. So he went and did the speech anyway. Bleeding with a bullet in his chest. An 84-minute speech. Wow. Amazing. Tough as nails. Teddy Roosevelt had a fire in the belly. He was passionate about America. Hmm. What are you passionate about? I mentioned yesterday, last week in this, my mental message about the future of the United Methodist Church and we are at New Covenant, just here to love the Lord, be faithful to what God's called us to do. I mentioned my grandfather. You know, I love my grandfather. Um, my grandfather was a circuit writer. He started preaching when he was 17. This is the, about the time that Teddy Roosevelt was the president. Um, he was ordained in 1920 at the Kentucky Conference. My grandfather... He had five churches, and he rode a mule to the five churches until he saved enough money for the first year in order to buy a horse. So he upgraded from a mule to a horse. Can you imagine that? Matter of fact, he literally almost died. He rented a house above a saloon because it was the only thing he could afford. And he got pneumonia Got pneumonia, baptizing people evidently either in the fall or the winter. In the I guess it was in the Kentucky River. And the saloon master literally saved my grandfather's life. If it would have been for him, he would not have been able to actually survive the pneumonia. God bless the saloon keeper, because if it wouldn't have been for him, I would not be here today. I just want you to know that. It was said that my grandfather would ride from place to place to place, and the people noted that his boots would be frozen, and the stirrup. Fire in the belly. Passion. About preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. What are you? Whew, what are you passionate about? My friend Dave Johnson's here tonight. I, I, I love David. And I've shared with you all a few weeks ago, David gave a testimony, and what I love about David, he's so humble in that, he'll share his story, but he always, whenever he shares his story about his Vietnam experience of literally the day he almost died, but he didn't, um, he always shares the story about David Nash, a person that was a part of his regiment that had died falling under a grenade, and he says, Harold, the reason why I continue to tell that story, it's because I don't want people to forget His name. Fire in the belly. What are you passionate about? I think about a church. I think about my my friend Jim Donovan. You know, God bless him. We have this this ministry we call Helping Hands. It was started I don't know 15 years ago. It actually, it started out of a living room. They were studying a, a small group of guys. They were studying about um, it was a Rick Warren study. It was about a study that, you know, it was about not only about doing the study, but also taking and doing something with what God had given you. And so they decided to go and they found a person that was in need and they figured out they were gonna try to fix their house and then the house is so dilapidated that they said, well, this, we're just gonna level it. we we'll build our new one. We're gonna figure that out. Which they did, the first one. And so what's very interesting is that my, my friend uh, Jim Donovan by the way, we're on our—we've th- completed 32 houses since then, and I think we're going to build like three more this year. And and what I what I love about that particular part of the story is that, you know, Jim is like our superintendent of the construction, and his fire in the belly comes from because he has shared that he was poor, and he knows what it's like not to have almost like not have a roof over your head, and that's where his passion comes from. Fire in the belly. My, my son Cameron graduated a couple years ago. Um, he did something very interesting. You know when you graduate from high school, people, you know, they give you different things and then a lot of times, you're, as a kid, you're always hoping that you get some cash. Cash is always good. Cash is king, right? And so, what's very interesting, when he graduated and he got several checks, I don't know how much he got, several hundred dollars, he goes and cashes all the cash uh, the checks, and he takes, I think, majority of the money, and he goes to Publix, and he buys peanut butter and jelly in the jars. And he buys a lot of it. Like cases of it. And the reason why he did that is because I think he had gone to Don Huggins and said, what is it you need? And he says, well, we can always, Cameron, we can always use peanut butter and jelly. So Cameron goes and cashes his checks and, that he received from graduation, and he goes to Publix and he buys peanut butter and jelly, and he puts it in the cases out there. fire in the belly. What are you passionate about? What drives you? Motivates you? Peter goes from wow, behind closed doors to all of a sudden this like open air preaching preaches the sermon of his life. I mean, they go from 120 people to 3,000. Damn, just like that. I wish I could preach like that, right? Amazing. I, I was one to, um, last Saturday night, I went to a, a movie. Um, it was called, um, Top Gun Maverick. I don't know if you've seen it. I, I, I went and saw the original, you know, back in the eighties. And this is like fast forward, I don't know, 30 years. By the way, Tom Cruise still looks pretty good did you know that he looks like a movie star doesn't look like he's aged maybe you know a couple years i don't know it's amazing Uh, and so the the movie was i with my, my kids it was a very good movie i i actually enjoyed it i thought it was gonna be a little cheesy but it was it was actually a very good movie but you know they do these previews and what's very interesting is that the preview the next movie the big movies come out is a movie about elvis's life does anybody remember elvis Okay, so, so um, what's interesting about Elvis, so there's this new movie coming out about, and I said, I want to go see that, because I, I really, like, really liked Elvis. You know, um, Elvis never won any Grammy Awards for like his rock and roll, all that stuff that he was doing, right? He, get a, he, didn't, get a, he didn't get a Grammy Award for that. You know what he got a Grammy Award for? Gospel. Gospel music. I went back this week, and one of my favorite old gospel songs, by the way, he sang this. Precious Lord, take my hand. Lead me on, let me stand. I'm tired, I'm weak, I'm warm. Through the storm, through the night, lead me on to the light. Take my hand, precious Lord, lead me home. I did not expect applause. But I will tell you this about Elvis. Elvis, you know, Elvis had his own issues. You know, he, well in some ways I think he understood, you know, what, we all understand that what we can relate to about Peter, he had highs, lows, light, dark, good, evils kind of just continue to creep into his life. I, I thought this is a really powerful quote from Elvis. He said, Truth is like the sun. You can shut it out for a time, but it ain't going away. And then he also said this. You know, I'm going to be 40 soon and nobody's going to remember me. Wow. There's a thought. By the way, I looked this up this week, today. Uh, Has anybody ever been to Graceland? Here's a thought. This is an interesting, I mean, Elvis is wondering if anybody was going to remember him, right? And he died in the 1970s. There are half a million people every single year to go to Graceland. Wow. And, and so I was thinking, you know, what are you and I going to be remembered for? I mean, it's that kind of that rhetorical question about the legacy that we have in our lives. Um, matter of fact, you know, of, of a couple of years ago, I read I read this book, and I I did a sermon series. It's called um, "Outlive Your Life." It was by Lakato and um, you were made to make a difference. And the whole premise of the book comes from the Book of Acts. So I loved about it. And so one of the things Lakato did mention, he says, you know, he says, hey, we have a, a first day and the last day and a few thousand days in between and we all have been given an honest to goodness life. We, well, you can't recycle your life. Uh, you can't rerun your life. You, you have one shot at your life. Amazing! As soon as Wayne Day is lived, bam! Here comes another one. Life is just racing by. One of my favorite quotes from Um, John Maxwell, he says, you know, life is not a dress rehearsal. We got one chance at life. You know, uh, I shared this story with you. When I turned 40, uh, I was going through a midlife crisis. I didn't go buy a little red sports car, you know, I... I, I I just didn't really know how to handle that day when I turned, I remember that day, I remember. And so I decided that, um, that I was gonna do something new with my life, I felt like I needed to turn a new leaf with my life. So I decided I was gonna go and go to the guitar store and I still remember going to Boynton Beach, and I took all my kids with me, and we I was going to buy a guitar, and I was learning how to play the guitar. I just felt like, you know, it was one of those things I always wanted to do. And so I, I was in the guitar store, and I was trying to pick out a guitar, and I was trying to find out what it was going to cost to be able to get guitar lessons. And it was just all so overwhelming. And then the kids were playing with the guitars, and that made me nervous. And the guy looked at me and says, hey, listen, if they break the guitar, you're going to buy the guitar. Thought, oh, my gosh. And so by the, that whole thing was just a complete... A disaster. After 30, 35 minutes being in the guitar store, I was my head was just spinning. I was so overwhelmed. And I said, Donna, I don't know what I would do. I'm having a midlife crisis. And she finally just said to me, get a grip. And I did. And that was my whole midlife crisis. That was it. It's all over. Flash. Got a grip. And so, you know, it's amazing sometimes how life kind of shakes you up. But it makes you think, what have I done with my life? What's my legacy? I only got one shot at life. Life is not a grass rehearsal. I mean, you got a beginning and an end. How hey, you got a few thousand days in between? What? What? What are we doing with our one and only life? What? When we got that fire in the belly, passion, make a difference in life. Wow. I, I was thinking about that this week. You know, and when I got run over a couple years ago. I was out commission for about three months. When you're run over and you're out for three months and you have a hard time sitting still, it gives you a, hard lo- uh, gives you a, a, a lot of time to think. And so the questions that I was reflecting upon is, have I done anything that will outlive me? And what's next? Well, I have to answer that question, isn't it? I mean I, I mean have I ever preached a, a sermon that's going to make a difference in someone's life? have I, have I touched someone's life have I, have I motivated someone to do to be a good neighbor, to love Jesus, to accept Jesus? Have I done anything in my life that's going to outlive me? It's a great question. We all have to answer that you know I, you know I'm thinking you know when my kids do my eulogy some, I don't know which one might do it. I hope that one of them will do it. And and, and, you know, I mean, what are they going to say about their old man? Well, I ran, you know, he ran about 100,000 miles, which I'm on track to do that. And I'm on track to read, maybe, I ran the numbers a few minutes ago before I got to preach. I I probably preach maybe six or 7,000 sermons. But any, any of that's going to make any difference what do we do with our one and only life? I love, I love Wesley. I, I love Wesley's prayer. Um, it, it, there's something to it. I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Place me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be put to your work for you or set aside for you, Praise for you or criticize for you. Let me be full, Lord. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and fully surrender all things, to you, glory and service, and now, oh, wonderful and holy God, creator, redeemer, sustainer, you are mine and I'm yours, so be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, that I so be made in heaven. Amen. I love that. I love that. That's our Wesley covenant prayer. You know the thing that Wesley also said? He must have had that same question. The whole thing, you know, once again, the, the theme that we have tonight about the Pentecost, the, that fire in the belly. Peter went from being behind closed doors to be open air preaching. All of a sudden, man, 120, Man, that's an amazing sermon, isn't it? Wesley was credited for saying this. Light yourself on fire with passion and people will come from miles to watch you burn. Light yourself on fire with passion and people will come from miles to watch you burn. Hmm. We got one and only life. What what are we gonna what are we gonna do with it? You know, how is God gonna use me? How is God gonna use you? How how can God really use us? Pentecost. I love what I love about this is that Peter had his highs and his lows. I mean, some days Peter had a good day, some days not so good. I mean, one minute Peter's walking on the water. Next minute, Peter's drowning. One minute Peter's saying, Lord, I would die for you. Next thing you know, Peter's in the courtyard, warming himself around a charcoal fire. Hey, you're one of those galleons. No, I'm not. You're one of those followers of Jesus. No, I'm not. No, I've seen you. No, you haven't. Cock-a-doodle-doo. Hmm. I think one of the greatest stories in the Bible is between Jesus and Peter. It's a story of love. It's a story of redemption. We all need this story. I, I think it's all our story. I mean, I think we're all a lot like Peter in so many regards. We, sometimes we get it right, sometimes we don't. Sometimes we're on high, sometimes we're low. Sometimes we get it, you know, we're just following this goodness and sometimes we just fall to that temptation. It's that story when Jesus is having that, what I call it, the come to Jesus talk with Peter. Pete, do you really love me? Of course I do, Lord. Well, feed my sheep. P.D. really loved me. Well, yes, Lord. Well, tend my lambs. P.D. really loved me. Of course, Lord. Why do you keep asking me that? Tend my sheep. I think that story is just dripping with redemption. I think that Peter needed that story. It's just a catalyst it's just a catalyst. It's a conduit to get to the place where Jesus had Peter right where he wanted him. Oh, he had him all right where he wanted him. By the way, you know there are three key. I'll close with this this teaching moment. Do you realize there are three key festivals in the Jewish tradition? Passover, which is connected to the festival of wheat and connected with the holiness of the spirit of death passing over the children of Israel. Let them out of bondage. Then there's the festival of Pentecost, which has to do with 50, which is we call it the Feast of Weeks. It's the week of weeks. In other words, it's like 49 on the 50th, 50th day, they would celebrate the giving of the Torah from Moses. And that's connected to barley. And they would celebrate that with two loaves of bread. And then there's the third festival, the Sukkot, which is the festival that's connected to grapes. It would come in the fall. And what's very interesting is that this Pentecost, this coming of the Holy Spirit. By the way, Jesus had prepared them. You can expect it. Um, it happened when? In the middle of Pentecost. I mean, people would come from all over the world to Jerusalem to celebrate because that was part of their tradition. And when does the Holy Spirit come? It comes in the middle of Pentecost, which was a Jewish celebration, but then all of a sudden it was transformed. It became, we as Christians, a Christian celebration. It's connected to our Jewish roots. That Jesus and the coming of the Holy Spirit and Almighty God had them right where he wanted them. And, and so here's my question for us to think about tonight. Does Jesus Christ have you right where he wants you? That's a great question. Does he really have you right where he wants you? About loving and caring and giving and sacrificing. It just came suddenly. I love that word suddenly. I mean just unexpectedly. Expect the unexpected. So I close with this here's my last little story tonight. Oh, uh, we have our little friend and I. Don and I had made friends with her at our first church 32 years ago. Well, guess what? This week, she moved to Ocala to be near us, along with her children. Matter of fact, we took care of Sam for four years. She lives up the road now. I'm hoping she'll be a part of our church. I'm sure you all make her feel loved and welcomed, along with her children. But here's the interesting thing. In the midst of, you know, I told you what am I passionate about, and I said, you know, one of the things I'm passionate about is running, and I've been doing this my whole life, and, you know, well, since I was 16. And so what's very interesting is that one of those marathons I ran, I really didn't run it for me. I ran it for Endai. And the reason why I ran it for Indi is that, you know, she was here for America, then she had gone back, to Africa after her husband had died, and because Charles said, and I, I need for you to raise our children as true Africans. That's important to me. Take them back to Africa. So she did. And then, in the midst of all that, evidently it got really bad, and she would send notes to Donna, because Indai only has like about a sixth or eighth grade education, and her kind of broken English. She's writing, Donna, if I die, come and get my children. So one year I ran the Boston Marathon. I raised some money. The church supported that in order to send for airline tickets. To bring her back to America because I knew that she was gonna die in Africa. Because the mortality rate at that time in Zimbabwe was about forty years old because of disease. Yeah. So here's a picture of Ben Dying when she was in Africa with her family. That's a picture of Sam. Sam doesn't look like that anymore. He's a grown man. So I'm just here to tell you. I may preach 6,000 sermons. I may run 100,000 miles. But I do know one thing. I believe that Don and I saved one thing. Has God put us this fire in our belly to hopefully make a difference in someone's life? So if God can do that in my life, and the God can do that in my wife's life, I know that He can do it in your life. Expect the unexpected. What are you passionate about?